Thank you so much. Guys, thank you so much. You can be seated. So awesome. Isn't that such a great session? My heart burned on that, during that whole session. It's when someone starts talking about your, your core message but has different language, you're just like, oh, God's saying the same thing, you know? No matter how, ma- how many times you hear God when, in your life or how many times you experience hearing God, when you hear someone else say the same thing that God's been speaking to you, it just makes you feel like, yes, I did hear God. I'm not crazy. Is anyone else like that? It doesn't matter how confident you are in hearing God. When you hear, you experience with other guys. When you're prophesying next to someone and they say something and you were thinking the same thing, you're like, yeah, I did hear God. That wasn't, I wasn't just me. That was God. And it's just so cool to know that God's doing that across the body of Christ. And to be honest with you, everywhere we go, there's different language, but the same things are happening. And that is that God is, is he's shifting us from a, um, a rules-based uh, church to a relationship-based church. Even our, our theology is becoming much more relational. In fact, I would say I don't want any theology if it's not relational, to be honest with you. I, I, if I can't experience it, why do I care? <laughs> it's like, don't, don't just tell me something. I want to experience it. And so that's, I think that's what we're hearing. It's just this beautiful uh, shift of language. And so I'm excited about that. I have my wife, Kim, here with me. And uh, I'm going to ask her just to come up. She had a, just a few thoughts she wanted to share with you. Um, and if she didn't, she does now. She's amazing. So now, she actually, I wanted her to say hi to you, greet you, wanted you to greet her. And so, hey, honey, can you give Kim a hand? Uh, <laughs> So I just want to bless my husband for calling me up here. (laughs) Uh, No, I just, I'm so thankful to be here. This is my first time on this continent. It's my first time in South Africa. And I fought a bit um, because the flight was so long. And and God and I just, we wrestled a little bit. But when I gave in, I had a lot of peace. (laughs) So I just want to, I just want to thank you so much for opening your hearts. I'm so encouraged when I look out here and see all the faces and I just feel like the Lord is, um, I just, I feel like he's got this huge smile on his face when he sees all of you coming together. And, um, and just the fact that your hearts are so ready, um, you're so eager, your ears are open, um, and you're just, you're ready to go for more. You're ready to learn more, to understand and to know him more and to take what you've gained in here and to bring it out. So it's just so exciting. So thank you for having me. I love being here, and, and I've really enjoyed getting to know you all. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, George. And um, I, I have the best job in the world. I just get go around to cool places and uh, tell people what Jesus thinks about them, and then I go home to amazing wife and, and two amazing daughters that we have, which we've, we've raised together, and now we're, we, she doesn't like the terminology, okay, we're not empty nesters, but we have two kids in college, what are you going to do? <laughs> so, yeah, so we, in just a couple months, we'll celebrate 30 years of marriage, pretty awesome, yeah. it's, it sounds weird, but she was like five when we got married, so it sounds weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah, yeah. It's true. It's true. So it's it's cool. She's much longer younger than I look. <laughs> so um, I want to do a little multitasking here, 
Uh, I'm going to do some products and then to do some words of knowledge and uh, or guesses of knowledge. What's the difference between a word of knowledge and a guess of knowledge? You don't know until you say it. Absolutely the truth, too. It's absolutely the truth. I've taught it for years that way because it feels the same. So, you know, we, I've taught back in the, you know, the early 2000s. I started teaching in the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, schools of prophecy. And then I learned out what I was teaching was actually called prophetic evangelism. Like that was, became a term it, that wasn't, it was made up then. It was never, it was never. So then I changed everything to prophetic evangelism because I thought I was just teaching people to hear God's voice and talk to other people outside of the church. But then I was told, that's prophetic evangelism. And uh, so I renamed everything prophetic evangelism. And then uh, as that started to become more common, we realized prophetic evangelism is just being a Christian. <laughs> so it's like that terminology, I'm glad that terminology is gone because prophetic evangelism and power evangelism was good for a season, but then it became a limit for us because only prophetic evangelists and power evangelists did power evangelism and prophetic evangelism. Now it's just being a Christian. <laughs> it's just, this is normal Christianity. It's not even supernatural Christianity because Christianity should be supernatural. So normal Christianity should be supernatural. So what happens is, is God gives us language when he gives us something new. But whenever we, that becomes the norm, that language needs to act. We need to shift away from that language, some of that, because the language that opened up something new actually limits us. You hear, you hear what I'm saying? So it's, I'm, I'm big into giving language to stuff because I think it's important um, because what we say is what we actually produce. Like it's, a, it's what we're going to see come. We have a perspective, and then we give it language, and once we have that, we, the unseen becomes reality. And we, what we say, we see eventually. So it's important, it's important what we say. So anyway, words of knowledge, it feels the same way. So we used to teach us go out and, you know, ask the Lord what he wants to heal, and the first thing that comes to your mind, say it to them. You don't know if it's a word of knowledge or a guess of knowledge unless it's right, right? But either way, it feels the same, because information is coming into your mind. If you make it up, it's just coming from your mind to your mind. If, you, if it's a word of knowledge, it's coming to your spirit and coming into your mind. And sometimes initially you don't know the difference. And so eh, I also use that language because I think it just makes people at ease. Because they think, well, you're, you're really special. You get words of knowledge. You're special too. You get words of knowledge too. You just think you're guessing. So that's just my deal. I love to demystify the, the spiritual gifts so that it makes it accessible to people. Anybody have a birthday July 9th? Anybody have a birthday July 9th? Or that, may, that date means something to you? Okay. So, yeah? Uh, birthday or no? It's your husband's birthday? Okay. What's his name? Andrew? Okay, I have something for Andrew. Um, I, believe, I believe that Andrew's, um, he's a real thinker. And he's, 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 I guess we might even call him like a, a left brain thinker, like logical, but I just feel like the Lord is adding some, uh, some, a spiritual dimension to the way he thinks. And I feel like he's a, a problem solver. And I saw him being invited into places like as a consultant to solve uh, problems that other people have. And he's going to be one that comes up with simple solutions to difficult problems. And God wants uh, Andrew to know that He's, he's invested in a, in a lot of things that other people have reaped from because God's taught him how to be a wise steward of his own resources, but also God's going to use him to teach other people how to steward their resources as well. And I feel like there's an investment gift in him that as he invests in people, he's going to see a great harvest in, in the future. And so 
I want to give him this, this resource because I feel like he's called to shift people's thinking. And God's challenging him in some ways of his thinking right now. And God wants to encourage you that God, God can reach his mind and he can reach his heart. And, and so uh, and there's, this is a teaching I have called change your think, shift your thinking, change your thinking, change your world. And it identifies four places that thoughts come from. Thoughts can come from the atmosphere, and we can pick up on it and get confused about you hear a song in the store, you wake up the next morning with that song in your head. What's that? That's the atmosphere. But you can shift the atmosphere around you by the atmosphere inside of you. Thoughts can come from adversity in our life, stuff that, we, that comes against us. Adversity that we experience can shape the way we think. But God takes our adversity and turns it into a, a victory for us, makes us an overcomer. We have something to overcome. And Andrew's one of those people. He's going to help people overcome. He's, he's, going to, he's overcome challenges in his life, and he's going to help other people overcome. And the third, another way that things, place that um, thoughts come from is from the adversary. So the devil tries to give us thoughts, and, and God can cause us to, to either flip those or push those away. But the fourth place, and this is where God wants to do in your husband, is he, thoughts come from above. And I believe he's going to find himself in situations where literally like as smart as he is and as much wisdom as he's had, he, the natural solution isn't, isn't immediately available. And then the light bulb goes on and a thought comes from above, from heaven. And, and this talks about how God gives us thoughts from heaven so that we can bring solutions to earth. So can I give this to you? Andrew, can you come and get it? This is great for you if you're in the marketplace. Anybody that works in, here you go, buddy. Can you, if, if anybody that works in the marketplace it help you to it help you to give you language for how to go into a marketplace setting and, and change the, the thinking of people, but also come up with the solutions of heaven. So, cool. Uh, is there someone here? And you might be to the left. Your name is Peter. Anybody to the left? Your name is Peter, or to the right, or to the middle, or to the back, or to the anybody? Ever, your name's Peter. Are you the only? Is, is he the only? Is there a Peter on this side? So I'll take you first. Did he leave like permanently? Were you sitting over there? You were sitting over there? That's too bad. I had a word for you when you were there. I don't have one for you now. That's a bummer, Peter. Stinks to be you, Peter. <laughs> go ahead, Peter. Stand up. I have a, I have a word for you. The, the Lord says, go sit back over there. <laughs> just kidding. Just, kid, just kidding, bro. Just kidding. Um, actually, I have this. I have this book for you, Peter, and I, and, I, and I believe that God's uh, given you a voice, and and is raising you up as a prophetic thinker and a prophetic a, a prophetic person. And there's prophetic gifts in you, particularly the seer gift is going to be going to be activated in you. And I feel like there was a time when you were a child that even the night season was a was a time of turmoil and fear but i just feel like the lord says there's vegetations that are coming to you in the night season in this season but there's also a great rest when i said that i saw the lord just put this blanket over you in the night season and his hand came on you uh, even on like your chest and like your 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 lungs and i feel like there's a a new breath that's that's uh, breathing into you and sleep is going to be sweet and it's not going to be interrupted by shortness of the breath and also that, that the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you uh, in the night season. Uh, also, I, f- I feel like that you're going to be one that's going to uh, lead people into, into new ways of thinking. And I feel like you challenge people in, in their ways of thinking. And I feel like you're, you're the kind of guy, let me just say, 
Like, you could take any point of view and you could present the opposite side. Some people would say you like to argue, but what I would say is that you like to challenge people's thinking. It's like a lawyer. A lawyer, a good lawyer can argue both sides of the equation. He can argue both sides of the, of the argument. And God wants you to know you're going to be put in front of people who have intellectual arguments and even spiritual arguments against God. And you're, going to, you're not going to just argue with them, but you're going to demonstrate the wisdom of God through words. And so also I feel like you're going to teach people to hear the voice of God and walk in the voice of God. And so this book is a book that I wrote about the prophetic, not from a New Testament gift perspective or from an Old Testament grace perspective, but from the beginning before the fall, because the first thing that we were created to do was to walk with God, to see what he sees and to say what he says. And this teaches us originally how we heard God before the fall. So I want to give you this. And at the end of each chapter, it has um, exercises so you can learn to hear God better for yourself and better for other people. So I give you this, Peter, and then you're going to go sit over there. No, it's kidding. Awesome. So uh, when I talk about words of knowledge for healing, I, I really believe you're going to start to get those. You're going to start to know when people need healing in their body, and you're going to release healing through the word of knowledge. So bless you, Peter. Awesome. So good. Thanks for, thanks for helping me out over there. Thank you, man. It's good. It's cool. All right. Um, is there someone with a, um, a birthday 11 uh, of April? 11 April, or does that date mean anything to anyone? Yeah, is that you? Cool. And you're in the center, right? Good, because I have you in the center. I was hoping you were. So I put you, that's good. Does the name Grace mean anything to you by any chance? You go to a church named Grace? Okay, that's cool. So you're in the right place at the right time. Yeah, <laughs> he gives me Grace too. And I have a daughter with a middle name, Grace. Grace, could you stand up? Oh, no, you're not, your name's not Grace. From Grace Church, April 11th, can you stand uh, to your feet? Awesome. Um, I really feel like the Lord's going to use you. I saw him um, put his hand on your head, and he, he imparted the mind of Christ into you. And I feel like that's going to be an impartation you're going to have uh, for people, particularly women who've gone through trauma situations. I feel like you're going to help adjust their thinking, but particularly bring healing in their minds. There's an inner healing gift in you, but it's going to also, I saw God even give you people that have been traumatized and to help them overcome trauma with divine healing of the mind. I also feel like this is going to, I saw women that have gone through just neglect and even abusive situations that you're going to help receive the love of the Father and even trust, again, of male authority figures. And I feel like the Lord is saying that this is going to be a year where the peace of God that passes understanding is going to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. But also God is going to use you to release the peace of God through your life. You know, the God of peace crushes Satan under your feet. And so the same way that God, uh, the enemy, tries to attack women in their minds, I saw God give you these awesome high heel shoes. You just crush the serpent head. You know? So the same way you like, you have all these like shoes. You like, There's something about shoes with you and in your closet. You like, all these shoes. I just feel like the Lord said that's just a sign of how many times you're going to crush the serpent's head in people's lives. So, awesome. And it was like almost like someone said, you need to get rid of shoes. And every time you get, get buy a new pair of shoes, you have to get rid of two. But instead, what happens is, is that you buy two pair and you don't get rid of the other ones. Okay, so that's, that's, that's cool. Are you a shoe lady? Awesome. 
<laughs> Can I give you this? It's called Experience Peace. Uh, my wife and I, uh, we put this together because the atmosphere of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And I'll give this to you. And it, and it has all these scriptures. Uh, we declare the peace of God over you. Peace with your past. Peace with your present. Peace with your future. And you're going to crush Satan uh, with God's peace. Amen. God bless you. All right. What's really cool is when we did that, we did that healing experience one um, quite a few years ago, and we thought we want to do one for healing of the mind. You know, 80% of illnesses are stress-induced. That, there's, they're with the mind. And so we thought this was going to bring healing to people's mind, and we took all these scriptures based on the peace, the atmosphere of heaven of peace and declarations and prayers for, for peace. But we started to get a pattern of testimonies that's really cool from that CD. Um, the engineer who made it, the, the producer and the engineer, when they were together working on it, the, the engineer wanted to take it home and listen to it, and he just kept playing it in his house. And he wrote us this testimony, or through the, through the producer wrote this testimony to us that he's experienced a lot of marital strife in his home, and that, that, that CD, playing the CD, just brought an atmosphere of peace, and they reconciled something in their marriage. We thought, oh, what a cool testimony. That's just a cool story. It's fun. But we started to get testimonies and emails of people being restored to family members, like long-lost family members they hadn't seen, that peace was being restored in reconciliation with family members. And we realized God made peace with us through the blood of Jesus. He didn't just, like, he, peace isn't just the absence of anxiety. It's the presence of the kingdom of God, which reconciles things and, and governs things. It's the government of God. I really believe there's something on that the atmosphere of peace that actually restores family members and relationships back together. So we've seen that testimony through this word of peace. So I think that's cool. All right. Is there, uh, um, since we're doing okay with the, the, the guesses of knowledge so far, I'll go with more guesses of knowledge. So is there a Laura? And you may be to the right, or you may be to the left, but you may be to the right. <laughs> and if there's not, that's okay, because I have another guess. Anyway. So is there a Laura or a Lori? No, Laura? We'll take Lauren. Okay. You said Lauren? Okay. And you're middle right. Close enough. Um, I only have one date left over, so I'm going to say this. Is, is December 12th mean anything to you? Or is, that, is there anything in your, in your family that means anything? Does anybody have a birthday December 12th that's here? Okay, good. I had to throw that one out anyway, so I'll take you. All right. This is actually for you anyway. I know this is for you because we talked. Is this what you wanted? You were going to buy this? Oh, this, so this is for you. So here's a cool story that, that um, Lauren, you said, right? Lauren is, uh, spoke to her and her husband the first time I was here and uh, about them having a baby and that they had tried for seven years and God was going to give them a child and, and they ended up having a baby. And the next time I came back, I got to dedicate their little daughter. Uh, and, and you had family members. Is this right? You had family members that came with you. Right? That, and, some, and there were even some that gave their heart to the Lord because of the miracle that happened in your life. Isn't that cool? So that's so awesome when God does, opens barren wombs, right? We talked about last night. Right? He just does more things. And so this is a CD my wife made. I, I grew up with a lot of nightmares and night terrors. Uh, I think a lot of prophetic kids have that because they have a gift, but the devil tries to make it a curse, right? And so I shut that down for us. I shut all the supernatural down because of the fear. And um, what happened is, and I know we're going to give one of these to them too, right? Yeah, you're talking about that probably. I heard that somewhere in my head. So, so, um, so we wanted to create an atmosphere for our kids that, that, we, that their night season would be peaceful. 
So my, we would talk to men, we'd pray. My wife would sing over them every night. And um, she's got these prophetic songs she sang over them. And we just wanted to create an atmosphere of peace. What we didn't know is that it was going to create an atmosphere of dreaming. Uh, my wife's a dreamer. She's a three-a-night dreamer. Three dreams a night. That's why I, tra- I travel a lot because of that. It's just so I get some sleep. <laughs> you know, when she wakes you up and says, Honey, are you awake? And you say, No. Yes, you are. You just answered me. <laughs> Shoot. I had a dream. Oh, can you write it down, please? Oh, let's talk about it. And we, you know, sometimes we talk about it, but we've gotten better, haven't we? We like to talk about them during the day in text messages. So our kids are dreamers. I have three, I have three people in my home that are dreamers. So we, I nicknamed this the Dream CD because we have testimonies of kids having nightmares, night terrors. They get dreams from God and even grandparents. Literally, a really six-foot-five pastor, he got it for his grandkids, Pastor Dave. And he got it on a Friday night for his grandkids. And he comes back to me Saturday morning. I need another one of those heaven made you's. I said, oh, did you have another grandkid overnight? He, he said, no. He goes, I slept so good last night. I listened to it myself and had a dream from God. I'm not giving that one away. That's annoying. So he gave another one to his grandkids. So I will say there's so much peace on this and rest on it. If you get this, do not drive a car or operate heavy equipment <laughs> while using it. We literally got a text message last week from someone said, I was listening to this in my car with my kids, and I started to fall asleep. So I pulled over to the side of the road. I'm like, oh, wow, you need to get some sleep. So Lauren, can I give this to you? Bless you. It's called Heaven Made You. And then we got one for these guys, too. All right, cool. Yay. So cool. So listen, I believe that, see, these resources and his resources... This is where we become not just hearers, but doers of the word. We create a prophetic atmosphere for our kids. Watch out world. Just watch out world. I mean, I got two girls that are powerhouses. Watch out world. One is going to be a prophetic teacher that shapes the minds of children and parents. And one is going to be a prophetic artist that creates on stage and in words and in in pictures. They're going to take what we do to a whole new level. Because they are taking the kingdom of God to the culture. And I love what we just heard. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 12. Because I want to talk to you. This is one of my core messages. So I just burned as Julian was, was teaching this. And uh, I'm going to call this your order to go. You guys call it takeaway. Right? We call it to go. So if you go into a restaurant and you say, I want it to go. You guys want it takeaway. So let me say... Your takeaway order, okay? So for you guys. Um, I think language is important. And so when we talk about the church and the culture, a lot of times we see those as two separate things. However, it, the word ecclesia in the Bible, church, was not something separate from the culture. It wasn't. It was actually people that were specialized people within the culture. Called it, it was actually a Greek word that had to do with... Um, a, a prepared group of people that specialized in a certain area. So I actually believe, yes, this is a church, but actually there, are, there is an ecclesia in the schools. There's a called out group of people that are called to impact the educational culture of South Africa, right? There is a called out one. There's an ecclesia in the medical community. One of the first prophetic words I gave in this church was to a young lady sitting over there about... Becoming a doctor and studying medicine and delivering babies and prophesying over those babies. Anybody here when I did that? 
little girl. Like next year I came back, I found out this, that baby was, uh, was born, but I found out this little girl, this young lady, had to choose her high school major that week. I guess you guys choose your university majors while you're still in high school. Is that right? Do you do that here still? Is that right? In America, we don't choose our university majors after we graduate university. <laughs> we don't know we're going to major in. It's called undeclared. But you guys are more organized. So she actually had to choose that week, didn't know what to choose. She, when she received the prophetic word, she chose medicine. And, and a year later or so, her sister went into labor at home. She was the only one there. She delivered the baby. I tell this story around the world. I tell you, people get excited about the story because God knows who you are. And when he calls you who you are and you believe it, you become it. And so what would have taken her what? Ten years of preparation before she delivered her first baby happens ten months later or a year later. And she gets to prophesy over her first baby being born. Isn't that cool? And I heard since then a lot of other miracles about her getting into medical school. What, one of her family members came up to me. Where are you? Are you sitting over here? She's gone. Okay. Oh, man. I just, do you remember her name? Can you tell me, somebody tell me her name? What was the girl's name? Tombi? In Tombi. Just bless her, God. We just bless Intombi, God. We thank you that she's part of the called out one in the medical community. We just bless her, God, with favor. God, we say protect her, provide for every one of her needs, God. God, I thank you that you're her father and that she is going to release the voice of the father, the voice of the, the nurturer over a generation, that the first voice they hear after they were born is a voice from heaven saying, I knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. I called you before you were born, and I've appointed you. To change the culture. So God, I thank you for the ecclesia in Jesus' name. I just get excited about that stuff. So Matthew chapter 12. <clears throat> There's three things that God wants to give you today to, um, that I think you need to have your takeaway orders to go into the culture. For the church to go into the culture. And at the end of Matthew chapter 12, we're going to look at verse number 46. And then we're going to go directly to Matthew 13. Verses 1 and 2. And I'm going to read those together because when Matthew, when these were written, they were not written in separate chapters. They're written on one thought. And there's a reason we're going to do that. Okay? While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers, Matthew 12, 46 through Matthew 13, 2. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, my sister, and my mother. That same day, everybody say that same day. Jesus, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat down by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while people stood on the shore. And so we, here we see the shift from the house to the culture, from the church to the culture. And that this, this message actually came from a dream I had years ago, and I was first started to do what I labeled prophetic evangelism. And I had this dream one night that I walked into a, a restaurant. I wish it was Nando's, but it wasn't. And, uh, and I went to the register, and I, and I said, I want my order to go, which means takeaway. And, and the, the lady at the re- cash register looked at me, and she said, you need to go wait over there. And she pointed to this small table, and at this small table, it's like a pub table, there was a father and a son seated. Next to this son, I sat down, and the son looked at me, and he pointed right in my face. 
He said, you need to understand Matthew chapter 13. It's about the kingdom of God. And I woke up from this dream and I thought, what did I have for takeaway? What did I eat that made me have this dream? And immediately I understood a part of the dream. Part of the dream was that I was looking in personally for my anointing, my authority, the revelation to take God's kingdom outside the four walls of the church. I was struggling for the language, I was struggling for the understanding, but I knew this was for the church as well, that the church is looking to go. Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. We're looking for our orders to go, but there's some things we need to understand first of all. And first, what we need to understand is the relationship, the father-son relationship, identity. So, So God has released for the last, what, 10 years, the message of identity over the church. And, and if we understand identity, then there's something we can understand about the kingdom. And so when the son pointed at me and said, you need to understand Matthew 13, I interpreted that to mean I need to know something about Matthew 13. The interpretation of Matthew 13 is Matthew 13. There's something about the kingdom in Matthew 13. So I went on a journey studying this. And here's what I found out. Jesus had a shift in his ministry between Matthew chapter 12 and Matthew 13. He had a shift that changed his entire ministry. And it happened in this one statement that same day. Everybody say that same day. That's how long the transition takes. This day you can shift to cultural influence. This day, that same day. Before Matthew 13, Jesus ministered primarily in synagogues and in churches. In synagogues, he ministered generally to spiritual skeptics. They folded their arms. They said, who's this guy? Nothing good comes from Nazareth. Who does he think he is? He's the son of a carpenter. And they just folded their arms and said, prove it to me. In houses, he also ministered. He ministered in synagogues to spiritual skeptics. He ministered in houses to spiritual spectators. Everybody say spectators. To me, I don't know which one is worse, to be honest with you. People that just stand at you and stare at you like they don't like you, or people that stare at you wanting you to do a trick. So Jesus, in the houses, ministered to spiritual spectators that just wanted Jesus to do another prophecy, do another healing, do another miracle, which it's great to see prophecy demonstrated. It's better to do it yourself. You have to see it demonstrated before you can do it yourself. But if all you do is see it demonstrated, you become a spectator. And God's not looking for spectators. He's looking for an army that's equipped to go out and do. And so Jesus had to shift something in his ministry. And after Matthew chapter 12 and into Matthew chapter 13, we see Jesus' ministry shift dramatically. He didn't go back to synagogues. Primarily, he ministered outside of the church. He ministered on hillsides. He ministered to masses. So the location of his ministry changed, but also the effectiveness and the reach of his ministry changed. Which means that not only did he just minister outside of the church, but he ministered to a larger group of people. Masses of people gathered. And so here's the, here's the shift that we see that he went out of the house and he sat down by the lake. Say, by the lake. So the water is a symbol of the masses of society, the sound of many waters. It's a, it's a symbol of the culture, of the people outside of the church. And he got into a boat. Say, a boat. 
So a boat is, is used in the culture, it was used for everything. It was used for commerce in their culture because their culture surrounded it. It was around the water, it was around agriculture, and so they fished with the boat. It was their business. They transported themselves with the boat. It was their way of, of, of transitioning culture to different places. When the Roman culture wanted to go to a new place and conquer it, they took ships to take, the, to take the art and the economy and the architecture and the whole culture of Rome in those places. They did it on boats. Probably that was their form of entertainment on the water and in boats. It was probably their way of having family together and family days in boats. And so a boat had everything to do with culture, but it had nothing to do with ministry until Jesus got into it. And once Jesus got into the boat, it became a pulpit. When Jesus got into the boat, it became a platform for the kingdom. And here's what I believe what God is saying through this you know, parabolic dream, I will say, is that God wants to shift us, not out of the church so that we don't come back, that we are the church already. So we come here to celebrate who we are. We go out there to be who we are. You know? And God has a boat for everyone. And so he's not, he's not telling us, leave, leave the church. He's just saying, keep being the church when you leave the church, right? And it's because of our language, the church has become a building instead of the called out ones. But we are the called out ones. We are the church, and this is a church. We can be both. It doesn't, I, I can live in that tension, all right? So there's three things I believe that God wants to give us so that we can take away the gospel, all right? There's, and the first thing God wants to give us is spiritual identity. Spiritual identity is discovering who you are in the culture, who the church is in the culture. And this is a struggle because every new season, we have to know who we are in that season. Because sometimes in a season, like when you're a single person, like you have a, you have a different level of freedom you have than when you're a married person. Married, being married isn't bondage, but you have different rights and responsibilities, Right? Like maybe you have to give up poker night or whatever your night is. Right? I mean, so so being, being, being married gives a level of freedom and, and, and excitement that you don't get when you're single. But then you have kids. What's happening? You're redefining yourself. So now I'm a, I'm a guy. Now I'm a husband. Now I'm a father. And so I'm defined who I am in the season by the relationships that I have. So, so that's, that's my, my function is part of my identity, but it's not everything. So, you know... You go through different seasons of life, and sometimes when God shifts you, you go through what's maybe an identity crisis, but I'll call it an identity discovery, even though I've gone through identity crisis. So I spent time as a youth pastor, and then a pastor, and then I went through revival, and I started getting prophetic words. I was going to go to the nations, and I, I, and I never heard, heard anything about prophecy before. I grew up in a denomination that was a nonprofit corporation, so... So I, I did the next best thing. I became an evangelist. I sent my papers in and said, I want to become an evangelist. So they sent me back a plaque that said I was an evangelist. In our denomination, if you, if you traveled around and taught finances, you were an evangelist because you, you were, went from church to church. And so I was traveling around as an evangelist. And I went to a friend of mine. His church is in Miami. He was a missionary in South America for eight years. Came back, planted a, a Spanish-speaking church in Miami. And, and I went to his church and did what I wanted to do, preach and prayed for people. And, and he said afterwards, hey, you've been prophesying over my people today. I said, no, I was just praying. He goes, no, I know them. Everything you're praying is happening in their life. He goes, I think you're a prophet. I said, no, nah, I'm not a prophet. He goes, no, you, I think you're a prophet. I said, I can't be a prophet. He said, why not? I said, I don't believe in prophets. <laughs> and he said something to me. He said, then you don't believe in yourself. 
wow, that was a mouthful, right? So, so I, I actually had been traveling around, and then I went back on staff at a church, and I was 50% in the church as a pastor there, and a 50% traveling minister, and I struggled with this identity. Many times I would just ask the Lord, I don't know what I am. Am I a prophet? Am I an evangelist? Am I a pastor? I'm just so confused. And one day I woke up with this thought in my head. True story. I just woke up and we, were, we live in New Hampshire in a small apartment with our two kids. They were little at the time. And I heard this voice say, who do you think you are? Are you, a, are you a prophet? Are you an evangelist? Are you a pastor? You don't even have a job description. You don't know who you are. And then I heard this almost audibly. You're just a loser. Just like that. And I looked over. I thought my wife was talking in her sleep again. <laughs> <laughs> Honey, is that you? <laughs> I mean, I knew it was the devil, man. He just, I mean, he's just pummeling me because I was struggling with my identity. I was discovering it, but I was in crisis. And so I got up and I, thought, I started doing what I you know, call spiritual warfare. I went out there and I'm like, I'm not a loser, devil. You're a loser. <laughs> I think he went something like, ooh, I'm scared now. You know what I mean? And then I started speaking in tongues because I thought, well, I'm just going to do spiritual warfare. I started doing my samurai tongues. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit stopped me. He goes, what are you doing? I'm like, spiritual warfare. He goes, nah, you're just looking silly. <laughs> now, I think speaking in tongues is good because it, sometimes what happens is it speaks mysteries from our spirit. But a lot of times what we're doing is spiritual warfare, praying in spiritual warfare till we get to the answer that God wants. Then we can pray with the answer. So a lot of times what we're doing when we're doing warfare, we're praying to get an answer. Once we get the answer, we shouldn't stop praying. We should actually pray with the answer. So something popped into my head, and, and the Lord said, you're not a loser. I said, thank you. He said, you know what? The devil, his job description is, he's a thief. He steals. He kills. He destroys. And immediately, this revelation started to come to me. And all of a sudden, this scripture popped into my head. I can't tell you where it is right now, and I didn't, I didn't even know the reference then. I probably heard it or learned it. The Holy Spirit brought it to my memory. The reason... That the Son of God was made manifest was to destroy the works of the devil. That came after I prayed in tongues. That was the answer. The answer came. Now I had to pray with the answer. Here's what I just realized. God just gave me my title and my job description. The reason that the Son of God, everybody say Son of God, was made manifest was to destroy the devil's works. Say destroy the devil's works. That's my job description. My title is Son. My job description is destroy the devil's works. And you know what I got to do? I got to pray with the answer now. You know what, though? I don't know if I'm a pastor. I don't know if I'm an evangelist. I don't know if I'm a prophet. Here's what I know. I'm a son of God. And the reason I'm here is to make you unemployed, to destroy your works. So my job is to make sure you're out of work in this area. That's my job. You know what? That settled something in my heart. It settled something in my heart that I had struggled with for years. Because if I would have discovered I was a prophet before I discovered I was a son, I wouldn't have become a good prophet <laughs> if I discovered I was a pastor before I discovered I was a son, right? And so here's what happens is Jesus is about to shift. He doesn't even realize that he's about to shift, but he's got to, he's got to identify and declare his new spiritual identity. So his mother and his brothers come to him. They're standing outside. They came from Nazareth to get him 
I believe, to come back to Nazareth. Joseph is not with him. Most likely he's either sick or he's dying or he's dead. Jesus needs to come back as the oldest son, take care of the house, take care of the business, take care of his mom. His mother and his brothers are there to take him back home, back to his old season. Jesus doesn't even acknowledge them. He just says, who's my mother and who's my brother's? He's not disrespecting his mother and his brother, but what he's saying, here's what he says, those who do the will of my Father in heaven. Which means when you go into a new season, you got to know what God says about you, and you can't be affected by what other people don't know about you. Because some people close to you may not recognize you when you move into your new season. The people closest to you may be the last to recognize who you are, but... If you just keep being who you are, they will be your greatest supporters. Because Mary was the last person at the cross. James, the brother of Jesus, became the head of the church. Because they discovered who Jesus was because he kept being who he is. And I believe that God wants to give you a revelation of who you are in the culture. You're not just a teacher, you're a supernatural teacher. What do supernatural teachers do differently? Well, if, I'm, if you're a teacher, you might say, well, you know, we're not allowed to pray for our kids. Well, the Bible doesn't say that you have to pray for the sick to see them healed. The Bible says you lay hands on the sick and you see them recover. So all you have to do is say, oh, George, what's that you're working on there? That's really good. You're doing a good job. Keep going. So when you're a teacher, you're releasing the supernatural culture just as you come into proximity with your students. So it's, it's knowing who you are in, in your marketplace setting. It's knowing who you are that makes the difference, right? It's knowing who you are. So my daughter, she's studying, she's studying to become a teacher. And so what does she do? She just gets around kids and is who she is. But she decided she is doing a summer job at a, at a, um, a nursery school. It's actually a very private, uh, exclusive nursery school near where we live. Like literally, they pay for their three-year-olds more than I pay for my kids to go to college. Whatever, that's awesome. So my daughter gets to influence them, right? They're going to be culture shifters and culture changers. So that's where I want my daughter, right? And so she's in there, and they have to put the kids down for naps, and some of them don't nap. And so she said to the teacher, why mom has a lullaby CD? Could I bring it in? I hope I get these stories right because there's so many different good stories to this. So they start playing this CD. And one day the teacher, now they have to log in who takes naps into the computer, how long they nap, when they go down, when they wake up, and it's logged into the computer. I guess if you're paying $30,000 a year to send your kid to preschool, you probably should know if they're napping or not, right? So, so the teacher goes to her one day, she goes, ever since we started playing that CD, kids are napping that never napped before. So April comes home with the story. And then she tells stories. I, I, I hope I get these stories right, but we have kids of many different faiths in our, in our neighborhood. We have kids from different countries and different faiths. She said, I, I want to say it was either a, a kid from a Hindu family or a Muslim family, but I'm not sure, left one day singing a song about Jesus. So she's like, oh, this is really getting good at, at school, right? So, so I think a parent came back and said, boy, but I really like these songs you're teaching our kids at, at, at school. They're really, they make my son happy, you know? And the, the teacher's like, well, we're not, we don't teach them any songs, but we are putting on a CD while they're going to sleep. What are we doing? We're just being who we are. She's just being who she is, not being anyone different, just being who she is. You hear what I'm saying? So spiritual identity isn't about becoming a preacher when you're a teacher. It's about becoming a supernatural teacher, right? My, my good friend, is, his, his name is um, 
Raji. He's uh, from Trinidad, and he's a, he's a surgeon. And uh, he came to me. We met one Wednesday night. I was teaching at our church, and he came up, and he said, well, I'm having a real problem. I need you to come with me to the hospital right now. I said, I said, what? He goes, like, just close someone up, and I just got a text that they have some kind of infection, staph infection. He goes, I'm really concerned. This could be a liability. And I'm, I said, well, we don't really need to go to the hospital. Two or more agree. Touching one thing, it'll be done for them. Let's pray, but you go, and don't even, don't even just lay hands on him first and see what happens. So he, we pray together. He goes to the hospital. He texts me later that night. And he goes, this is incredible. I went in there. They had a high fever. Uh, they were, they were you know, going to start the antibiotic thing. And we prayed. They didn't, he thought he was going to have to open her back up, go in and repair something. God completely healed the mistake that he made. I'm just saying, God's amazing, isn't he? So my friend now, it becomes a part of his regiment. He just post-op prays over people. <laughs> his percentage of problems just went down quite a bit. I'm just saying, look, you can have a problem even if you're a good surgeon. But if you're a God surgeon, you should have less problems, right? Less complications. And so discovering who you are in the culture is what God wants to give you. And I believe that that same day, say today, today, today God's going to show you one idea, just one idea of how you can express who you are. As a musician, as a barista, as a, as a waiter in a restaurant, as a, as a construction worker, as a parent, whatever you do, one idea that you can discover spiritual identity, okay? The second thing that I believe God wants to give you is this, relational proximity. Everybody say relational proximity. I like this because God gave me three really smart words to use, which means... He usually gives me the language of the culture that I'm in. So you guys must be super smart because relational proximity. So what did Jesus do next? He got out of the, out of the house and he got down by the lake. He got next to the lake. Before the crowds came, he was where the crowds were going to be. And I believe when, when God uh, wants to give us influence in a place, we also have proximity. So influence comes by proximity. I believe that God's going to move some of you into closer proximity to the culture he wants you to meet, to reach. He's going to, he's going to move you in, in closer proximity. And you might not even have any connection right now with, with those things. I never had connection with, with people in the medical community until I met my friend. And then other things started to happen. So Jesus got down by the lake. I had a really cool experience happen. Because, I see, I believe my, my job as a prophetic person isn't just to give people the word of the Lord, but to teach them how to, how to have the word of the Lord where they live. So I had an um, experience, it was about five years ago, I was in a, in a service and I asked uh, people that needed healing in their minds, things in their minds to be healed, and about, it, was a, it was a Friday night, about, I think about ten people came up, and we just prayed generally for them, didn't ask for testimonies, but I came back to the same church the next year, and a lady met me at the door of the church, and she said, I have a testimony for you. She said, last year when you were here, you had prayed for people that had things in their mind to be healed. She said, I had severe bipolar disorder, ADHD. I was on medication for 10 years. And I, she said, last year I was healed. I said, that is awesome. Thank you for sharing that testimony with me. She said, no, that's not the testimony. I said, no. She goes, my husband, he actually is a scientist and he works for a pharmaceutical company that uh, develops the drugs that I was taking for 10 years. And now that I'm completely transformed, I'm completely off the drugs. And I'm like, that's a great testimony. She goes, that's not the testimony. I'm like, 
What's the testimony, honey? She goes, well, my husband is a believer, but he's an unbelieving believer. And because he's a scientist, he, doesn't, he can't explain what went on. But he's pretty skeptical, so he's coming Sunday morning to meet you because he doesn't believe in you. She said, that's the testimony. I said, oh, no, that's the test. <laughs> it's not the testimony. That's the test for me. The testimony comes after you show me the money. <laughs> if you want a testimony, show me the money. You know what I'm saying? So, everybody say proximity. So God puts you in proximity to people that you can influence. And so, so he comes into the second service Sunday morning. He comes into the second service. She's at the first service. She's at the altar at the end of the first service. And I'm praying for her. I didn't know this. He walks in the door at the moment I'm praying for her. And I say, I see you teaching kids with special needs. And even the kids that have had issues like you've had in your mind, ADD, ADHD, you're going to be, you know, help them overcome these, these problems in their learning and in their mind. And her husband's standing in the back listening to this. What I didn't know about this woman, she was actually a, a teacher of kids with special needs. She was a special needs teacher. And so she dealt with kids with these, these conditions. And I, I began to speak this over her. So he believed. Immediately he's like, okay. He comes to me at the end of that service. And he comes all the way to the front. And he goes, I, I heard what you said over my wife. I believe that God's in this. I, I want you to pray for me. And I said, absolutely. Let's pray. He goes, but I don't want to do it here. I, I, I want to do it privately because I don't want anybody to see you praying for me. He's super private, right? So I said, sure, let's come on over here. And I took him to the pastor's office, and I said, let's pray. His wife pulls out. It was in the old days before smartphones, so she pulled out an MP3 player. So I've been doing prophecy since cassette tape days. <laughs> Do you remember those days? Everybody had their cassette tapes. Yeah. So it's like Walkman prophecy. So good thing we didn't have the 8-track. We weren't around for 8-tracks. That would have been horrible. So, so bell bottoms and 8-tracks. Okay. That's not what I want to think about prophecy. So, so I, I literally start praying for him. Here's what happened. I start praying for him. I said, I know you're a scientist. I know you work for a pharmaceutical company. I don't know what you do. But I see you working on a project to do with blood. And I see that God's going to shift that to a project that has to do with the brain. And you're going to work on a project that has to do with Alzheimer's and uh, Parkinson's and neurological disorders. And God's going to give you breakthroughs in the lab where you're going to come up with ideas that deal with how to bring cures to neurological diseases, but not using stem, uh, embryonic stem cell research. And, and that there's a process that God's going to walk you through, and here's what it looks like. And I started to describe this process of discovery and testing and the phases that it would go through. And I said, this phase would usually take you three years, but it's going to only take you three months. And at one point, and I have it on MP3, he goes, um, you have to stop what you're saying right now because that's classified information. I'm like, really? I didn't even know what I was saying, so it didn't matter. Be clueless, you could say classified stuff, right? So, so we, we just went on with the prophecy. He took the MP3, he went home, and I got an email from him like a month later. It's a cool email. He goes, I want you to tell you, that was really strange prayer you prayed for me. But when I, you prayed for me, I was working on a diabetes project, which has to do with the blood. He said, a, a week later, after you prayed for me, my supervisor came and said, I'm putting you on the Alzheimer's project. He said, a week after that, I had this breakthrough in the lab. I brought it to my supervisor. He kicked it up to his supervisor, which would normally take three months to get to his supervisor, who kicked it up to his supervisor, which would normally take three years to get there. 
So within just a short time, they're there where they, would, where they needed to be, right? So he writes me this, or a couple of months later, he writes me this. Can you please pray and see if God tells you anything else about my research? <laughs> now you have to understand, like in high school, last science class I took was in 10th grade. Because I told my guidance counselor, she said, what science do you want to take? I said, I'm going to be a preacher. She goes, you don't need science then. <laughs> so, so I didn't even know, like, I don't know any scientific language. And so he said, can you pray about my research? So I didn't pray about it. In fact, I asked the Lord, please don't give me a word. <laughs> so it'll probably be wrong. I just went to sleep that night and I had this dream. Now, I don't know how God speaks to you, but this is how he speaks to me. And he should apologize for it, I think. Because I have a dream, and this faceless person comes up to me and puts their hands out. And they say, this is a protein molecule. This is a fat molecule. And then they start dancing. Fat is beautiful. Fat is beautiful. Fat is beautiful. Beauty's in the fat. Can someone say amen? Beauty's in the fat. So apparently the Lord's trying to tell me something. How do you test when the Lord speaks to you? How do you test the prophecy like that? Google it. Here's what I said. All right, Lord, I don't even know if there's a fat molecule and a protein molecule. I don't even know if such a thing exists. But if I Google it and there is, I'm not going to make a YouTube video and send it to the guy. But I'll tell him something, you know. So I, I realized I've actually come up. There is such a thing as a protein molecule, which I should have known probably. There's two different types of fat molecules. So now I'm, I'm sort of at a dilemma. How do I tell this scientist that I had an angel come and dance in my dream? Now, all my other friends that have angelic visitations have way better stories than that. But apparently... These angels thought I was pretty stupid because they were like, it's in the fat. Don't miss it. It's in the fat. So I said, I, I, I had a dream last night and I, I feel like there might be something you're going to find in fat molecules. That's going to be a breakthrough. I didn't get an email back from him. <laughs> in fact, I didn't hear from him for three months. And, but when I heard from him, he, he wrote me and said, you know, I thought that you, what you said was a little strange. He said, but I just got back from a stem cell research conference. I have actually, in my second book, I have this, all the research of this, this story and the research. He said, this came from the National Stem Cell Research Conference. And, and the, the main speaker said, regardless of the political environment, embryonic stem cell research is a dead issue. Because the greatest potential for stem cells is found in the deep fat tissues of the human gums. They can actually, now, that, now it's natural, now they can take your own stem cells and actually replace it. So it's actually something that's happening now. But I didn't know I had fat gums. I just didn't know that. And I had fat other places. I didn't have fat gums. What, well, but what happened? When God put me in proximity to someone, he gave me authority. Pro authority comes with proximity. Authority comes with proximity. And so we got to get close to the lake. We got to get close to the lake. Whatever it is. So I believe today, that same day, everybody say that same day. God is going to give you an idea how to get close to those people, how to get next to those people. He's going to, have, give, you an, he's going to give you an idea how to get close to those places. Okay? So Jesus got down by the lake, and then he jumped into the boat. I have another cool big word that God gave me, and he just gave it to me. Synchronicity. Everybody say synchronicity. 
I like that word. I had to look it up. When the Lord said synchronicity, it's synchronicity. I looked it up. Synchronicity is something that looks like it happened completely by chance. On one specific day, on one specific occasion, the heavens dictated, the stars aligned, the winds whispered, the right people were exactly at the right place at exactly the right time to do exactly the right thing. We would call it a divine appointment, right? So cultural synchronicity means that God is going to create divine appointments for you in the culture. He's about to create divine appointments for you in the culture. He's about to create divine appointments for you in the culture. Because before we do things organically, we have to do things intentionally. And so a lot of times God will put us in places where we learn to do things first by accident. Then we have to learn to do things by intention. And then we do them naturally. They just become that part of our natural process. So after God gives us spiritual identity, he wants to give us relational proximity. He wants to give us cultural synchronicity. I like that. It just sounds smart. Let me read it to you again. Something that looked like it happened completely by chance. You're about to, by chance, bump into somebody whose destiny you're about to change, and your destiny is going to change by meeting them. On a specific day, on a specific occasion, the heavens dictated, the stars aligned, the winds whispered, the right people were in exactly the right place at exactly the right time to do exactly the right thing. Sounds like God to me, right? I was in um, I was in Washington D.C. for a conference in, in 2012, and um, I was uh, just preaching on Friday night. We're about maybe three blocks from the U.S. Capitol building, and uh, I ended up the last person I prophesied over to was a was a nice man dressed in a nice suit, and his wife was dressed nicely. And afterwards, they came to me, <clears throat> introduced themselves. It was a U.S. congressman from a particular state in the U.S. and uh, he said, it's nice to, I said, it's nice to meet you. He said, it's nice to meet you. Have you ever been to the Capitol building of the U.S.? I said, no, I never have. I've always wanted to visit, just never gotten there as a tourist or anything. He said, would you like to go? I said, I sure would like to go sometime. He said, how about now? Everybody say now. now. <sighs> Things can happen now that you thought would never happen. I looked at the clock. It was one in the morning. I said, it's one in the morning. Is it open? He said, no, but I have the key. Well, he literally pulled out a key out of his pocket, a card. He goes, I have the key. I'm like, oh, you're a congressman. He said, well, you, you want to go now? So I said, absolutely. So we went to the, to the Capitol building in the U.S., him and his wife and a couple other people. We walked around just praying. I sang Amazing Grace in the Capitol Rotunda, which echoes off the walls. Even I sounded good in there. It was cool. We prayed for, we prayed for some janitors who were cleaning up. That was awesome. They got touched. One of them got healed. That was super fun. Um, we're just, we're there for about a couple hours, maybe an hour and a half walking around, putting our hands on doors because the doors were locked. The place was locked up tight, but we put our hands on offices of doors and pray that God would visit those offices. And we asked the Lord just to, to touch the leaders in the Capitol. And, and so we're walking out and we have to go back through security. The security guards are there 24 seven. As we're going just about to the security, the congressman's wife says, Hey, you know, we should take him to the floor of the house. And the congressman said, that's a good idea. Do you want to go to the floor of the house? I said, what's that? He said, that's where all of our congressmen meet and we pass our laws. I'm like, oh, yeah, let's do that. So he said, all right. I said, can we go there? He goes, oh, yeah, they have to let us go there because I'm a congressman. So we asked, he, asked, he talks to the security guard. The security guard reluctantly has to take us down the elevator to the floor of the house. And, and um, he's looking at me. I'm smiling at him. He's not really smiling at me. And, 
I think he showed me his gun. I'm not sure. <laughs> so we get down to the floor of the house. It was just a cool time. I mean, we didn't do anything illegal. We just, I just prayed over the seats. Of the, of, just asked God to bless our congressmen, you know, bless our country. It was a wonderful opportunity for me. I just felt so privileged to be there and uh, just, just prayed as over many, as many seats as I could. Something happened. The right people in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. The congressman's wife is standing sort of at the entrance to the, to the, the floor where we walked in, and, and the, she's with the security guard, and she calls me over. Hey, Bob, come over here. I said, yeah. She, she looked at the, the guard and looked at me, and she said to him, this is a prophet from God. He's going to give you a word from God, and I'm going to go over there and not listen to what he says. And she leaves me with the guy with no smile and a gun <laughs> and just told him I was a prophet that was going to give him a word. And my first thought was, it better be a good one, because it may be my last. <laughs> so I smiled at him. He did not smile. I think he showed me his gun. And so <laughs> I put my hand on the guy, say proximity, right? So proximity gives you authority. And so I just put my hand on him, and I said, sir, and I saw this picture in my head. I said, sir, I see an 18-year-old daughter. Do you have an 18-year-old daughter? He said, I do. I said, is she out college out west in the U.S.? She said, he is. She, he said, she is. And I began to speak into the life and their relationship, and, and he was very touched. At one point, I, I felt like he was emotional. There may have been tears there, but I, at, at the end of it, I said, you know, the reason that you guys are struggling in relationship is actually because she's exactly like you, a little stubborn. <laughs> and he smiled. I was glad because I thought he would go for his gun. Yeah. <laughs> I said, but she's in a crisis of faith right now, but she's going to be strong. She could be so stubborn. She's going to stand on her faith. And it just encouraged him. And there were a few other things we said in conversation we had. After I got finished, he looked at me and said, can I ask you a question? And then he went like this. And I thought, oh, no, it wasn't good enough. I'm, I'm done, you know. He, and he pulled out this wad of keys. And he said this. This is, I have the key to every room in this building. Where do you want to go next? Synchronicity. We went to offices that were locked to pray in places we couldn't have gone without the key. We went into rooms. There was one room. It said U.S. Senators only. I said, can I go in there? He said, yeah, go ahead. It was the bathroom. So I went in there anyway. <laughs> I figured there's a throne room there. There's, there's fountains. We can just, oh, fountains of the deep, I call you forth. And it was kind of funny. I, 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 I didn't pray over the seats. Don't worry. I did not. Oh, Lord, <laughs> you who sit on the throne. I did pray in the bathroom because I figured that's where a lot of people hear God is in the bathroom. So, Lord, I just wanted them to hear God. For me, it was more than just an experience. I believe it was a prophetic moment that God was saying, there are watchmen, angels that have the keys that God wants to release to you to get you to places that you need to go. There is a moment of synchronicity that's happening today because some of you have been going through a, a spiritual identity crisis, but actually you're going into, a, you're going into identity re rediscovery. It's what it's been. You're discovering a new identity. You're being put into relational proximity, and something's about to happen that's going to put you in cultural synchronicity where something that looked like it happened by complete chance on a specific day for a specific occasion, the heavens dictated, the stars aligned, the winds whispered, the right people will be in the right place at exactly the right time, doing exactly the right things, because you're about to have divine appointments in the culture. God's about to release the keys of the kingdom. 
So here's what I want to do. I'm just going to ask the Lord to come right now. Holy Spirit, would you just come? And would you bring literally like the, the watchman angels with the keys that go to places of culture, God? I ask, just as was prayed today, that, that the creatives would be ignited. I ask for people to you release keys to the entertainment industry and to the media and to the, into the creative community. I ask for you to release keys into the sciences into the arts. I ask you to release keys into government and to into civic um, order. I ask you to release keys into education, God. I ask you to release keys, Father, into families, the renewal of families, into the revival of culture. I ask you to release, key, release keys that will even bring renewal to the church and revival to the church. I ask you to release keys, God, that will unlock doors where we need to go. And Father, I thank you, God, that you're about to move us to places we've never could have been had we not been there at the right time, in the right place, at the right time, with the right people doing the right thing, and the right thing will happen. I thank you by accident things are going to align. I thank you by accident things are going to line up for us. And I pray right now, God, for this, um, this company of people, what you're doing in South Africa, God, that this revival, it will be a revival in the church. There will be signs and wonders in the church again. There will be power in the church. And there will be justice and mercy in the church. And there will be relationships in the church. But God, I thank you that this revival will not just be in the church. It will be in the culture. Because the church will begin to rise up in the culture. And there will be, the word of the Lord will not be rare in the culture. The word, the visions of the Lord will not be rare in the culture. And thank you for a prophetic company that's being raised up to go to the sectors of society with the keys of the kingdom. We just declare today that we are getting up out of the house and getting into the boat and next to the lake. And God, we thank you that you're going to give us the language like you gave Jesus of the parabolic language of the culture, the language to reach the culture, the understanding and the love of the culture. Because as we move into, into spiritual identity, we'll have greater spiritual influence. As we move into greater relational proximity, we'll have greater spiritual authority. As we move into cultural synchronicity, we'll have cultural impact. And there'll be keys released in Jesus' name. And so, God, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, would you just would you stand with me to your feet right now? And just would you just put your hands out and let the Lord just speak to you because I really feel like the Lord wants to just really give you an impression of what gate he wants to give you a key to today. So I just want you to put your hands out and Father, would you just give them a picture of the gate of the door that you want to open? God, I thank you. You allow us to struggle with Identity so that we can discover sonship. You allow us to feel relationally isolated so that we move into the right places at the right time. You allow us even to feel like we don't know how to reach the culture so that you can accidentally help us to reach the culture. Not because of how smart we are, but because how good you are. Because you are a good, good father. That's who you are. So Lord, because you're a good father, you said even earthly fathers, being evil, give their children good gifts. How much more will your heavenly father give you the Holy Spirit when you ask? And if you ask him for bread, he won't give you a stone. And if you ask him for meat, he won't give you a snake. 
And so because you're a good, good father, I ask you to release these keys. And I feel like the way we started today, it's kind of the way we end, is, is that realizing that we have a good father is what's going to allow us to know that we're sons and daughters. Realizing we have a good father is to know he's not going to lead us in a wrong path. He's not going to put us in a wrong place. Realizing we have a good father, he's just going to give us gifts that we never could have had before. Just keep your hands out because as we sing this, I believe there's something going to be released. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. And you're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. And you are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways I'm just going to declare this over you as we close that today something is going to happen that looked like it happened completely by chance. Today, something is going to happen that the heavens dictate. Today, the winds are going to whisper. Today, the right people will be in exactly the right place at exactly the right time to do exactly the right thing because he is perfect in all his ways. Come on, give him a shout today. Amen.